0: I'm Rick Bassman,
1: and I'm Amanda Kelly, and we're both cancer survivors, warriors, thrivers.
0: I was diagnosed at 16, stage 4, and given 6 months to live. Four major surgeries and three years of chemotherapy, hell later, I made it through. And for years afterwards, I was angry at the world. I was defeated, and although I wasn't dead, I felt like my life was over.
1: I traveled a bit of a different road. Diagnosed stage 2B with a grapefruit sized growth in my chest. Immediately, I saw the reason for what I was experiencing and the opportunity in it to become that person I always wanted to be the one who believes in herself wholly and who wanted to dedicate her life to helping others uncover that inner faith and resilience.
0: It took me a long time to understand that Amanda's way is not only the right way, the better way but when it comes right down to it, the only way.
1: Life is a beautiful and blessed gift. I believe that and feel that with every fiber of my being, and my mission is to help others to create that same gift for themselves. This gift is available to everyone who is ready to receive it.
0: Today, I'm healthier and I'm wealthier in mind, body, and spirit than I ever imagined possible. When challenges arise, things that once seemed insurmountable I now see them immediately as opportunities to become even stronger.
1: No matter what you are facing, you have that same strength inside of you. Together as the Cancer Warriors, we are here to lend whatever wisdom and experience we can.
0: To see your challenge as an opportunity, no matter what you're facing.
1: No matter how impossible it may seem. To help guide you to go from
0: from surviving surviving to to thriving. thriving. Please join Rick Bassman and Amanda Kelly for a new episode of the Cancer Warriors podcast every Friday right here on Podcast One. Also available on Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And here we are on our very first episode Of the Cancer Warriors. John Paz, our great producer. Thank you for that uh, amazing introduction. Uh, I appreciate it. And I'm so happy to be doing this. I'm here with, I want to say my good friend, Amanda Kelly, who I've never actually met in person before. We have this long distance friendship buddy thing going. Amanda, so glad to uh, see you today. How are you doing?
1: Great. Yeah, it's so amazing to be here. Yeah, we've never met in person, but I feel like I've known you for years. Well, I have known you for years, but I feel like I know you in person almost. (laughs) It's funny how the uh, interwebs can do that these days.
0: (laughs) And it'll be even more so that way now that we're doing this every week, since we're about to have this gigantic show that we're going to influence and help so many people with right?
1: Yes. Um, yes. I'm so excited to get into this because we've both had our journeys and that's what connected us in the first place. And there's just so much to say about this world and going through it. So yeah, there's there's so much we can get into and I just can't wait for this to evolve and it, for it to grow and for it to serve.
0: Uh, yeah. And all of the above. Check to all of the above. You know, this is, uh, for those watching, and hopefully there are many of you, this is our first episode. This is our introductory episode, and Amanda and I thought it would be a, a good start to have just the two of us on, talk to you a little bit about why we're doing this, and a little bit of our own experiences, where we were, where we are now, and, and where we hope to be as we progress in uh, in our journeys. So, as Amanda said, lots to get into. Uh, we agreed. I'm um, sharing mine and Amanda's private conversation now with you all. We agreed that we were not going to do this by script or, or by agenda. Um, we both like to flow. So uh, we're going to do our best to uh, to inspire. And uh, Amanda, why are you doing this podcast? Can you share that?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, this idea of sharing our stories keeps coming up and people connect through stories throughout history going back people learned through myth through story, through legend it's through archetypal representation that we have learned and grown and evolved as civilization so naturally we connect individually through stories. So hearing somebody else's story about what they've gone through that may parallel your experience, I find is so, so valuable. And that was the feedback that I was getting when I started sharing publicly what I was going through seven and a half years ago or so when I was diagnosed, I made the decision to share publicly that I had been diagnosed, that I was going through chemo, that I was going through this insane thing at the age of 30. And i had always been a very private person, honestly. Like I shared little things tidbits here and there, but I had small uh, Instagram following and I was just minimally active on social media. And all of a sudden there I was sharing this very vulnerable stuff. And at the same time, it just felt like the most natural thing to do. Like, of course. And People started reaching out to me personally saying, thank you for sharing this. Thank you for enlightening me about what it was like to actually be the patient because my father, my brother, my sister went through it and and people who were going through it themselves started finding me. And so that point of connection, of not feeling alone, of knowing that other people have gone through it and can... Resonate. And then, of course, having come out the other side, it's like, well, how did we get here? And what did we do? Like, those are hugely important pieces to be sharing. Because honestly, for me personally, I felt like the healing journey truly began after treatment ended. And I had no idea what lay ahead of me. And it was both Way more intense than I imagined, but also far more beautiful, because I totally embraced the full healing journey that was laid out for me, because it's, it was actually truly very liberating on very profound levels. So in a nutshell, (laughs) that's why I felt really compelled to say yes when you asked if I wanted to be a co-host on the show. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, that feels so good. And it's my seven-year mark. Actually, this coming week, as we're recording, is my seven-year remission anniversary. So it feels like very, very beautiful aligned timing to be doing this as well, because seven years. The whole body regenerates. You become a whole new person at a cellular level. So it feels like a massive, massive threshold. So yeah, I'm super honored to be, being, to be sharing this and be here. So thank you again, Rick, for asking me to be part of this with you because truly it's an honor.
0: No, of course. And it's, it, it's so great to have you here with me because I feel like you're, you're such a, a, like we're counterparts almost. And that compliment is all to you because, as opposed to myself, because I look at how you've handled your journey and and how it's out there. And by the way, folks, when I say out there, Amanda has an amazing platform called This Art Called Life at thisartcalledlife.com. Check it out, please, when you get a chance. And you've built a big following, you're inspiring a lot of people. And and I I see your voice and the way you portray yourself. And it's always it's real and it's grounded, but it's very positive. And that I think that helps a lot of people. And, you know, I think we'll probably end up interviewing each other a lot, maybe even on today's mm-hmm. episode to see what our experiences were like and, and how we handled it. W- what I know of you through our many conversations is you handled it. I mean, you had your challenges for sure. And I'm sure you had your fears. Um, I'm sure there were there were some rough rough times, maybe a lot of them. But I guess the way I would describe you through it all was like bright and sunny. Um, I took the opposite path and I was diagnosed at 16 uh, with stage four cancer. I was at one time given a six month uh, survival prognosis and it was uh, obviously they were wrong about that because here I am all these decades later. It was (laughs) a brutal, brutal three years and I did not handle it well. And I take full discredit for that that's on me, Um, I've learned a lot since then. And I think what I've learned now allows me to help people that might be really, really in the dark, um, thinking they don't have a chance, thinking they cannot survive. And these are people that are either in it or have survived it, but feel like they barely got through it and now their lives are over. And you and I know that, um, you and I know there's always a chance to come back even stronger than you were before, which is why we have this great tagline from surviving to thriving. I think that really says it all.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, that was that that came to me a while ago. Well, actually, I was going through treatment, and I feel like other people have had that same, uh, you know, tagline for various different things over the years. I've seen that floating around, but. I, you know, I was playing around on Instagram with hashtags when I realized, oh, people can find each other through this stuff. It was really the cancer diagnosis that allowed me to explore what was possible when you use social media to your benefit. And I realized there were specific hashtags for cancer. There were specific hashtags for lymphoma. I was diagnosed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma lymphoma, primary mediastinal B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for anybody out there who might have gone through the same. Uh, And we'll get into the, the nuances of our particular diagnoses and all that. But I was looking through these hashtags and, you know, it's like predictive when it comes up. Cancer survivor was the first one that I was putting in, but I noticed there was cancer warrior, cancer thriver, and it was the thriver that I really resonated with because Is I was like, you know what? I don't want to resonate. I don't want to identify as a survivor because, okay, there's an empowerment that comes from it, but it also has this duality where we're in survival mode. And in general society has been in survival mode in scarcity in lack in suffering and in my humble opinion we are meant to transcend that that is not meant like that's not how we're meant to live in survival mode we're meant to live beautiful abundant expansive lives but our conditioning our program the trauma going back for a long time uh, it really keeps us in this state of constantly needing to perform and to do 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 and burnout and stress has become the norm for our modern western society and that's i think a huge contributing factor for so many whether it's cancer or other chronic disease dis-ease and for me I know that it was a primary catalyst for my diagnosis because I had been so stressed out. I had been burnt out and dealing with crazy insomnia. And I actually – it took a couple more years, honestly. It's a whole other conversation. We can talk at, talk about it another time. But to find out I actually had adrenal fatigue, adrenal burnout. Like there's a real physiological basis to burnout. It's not just like feeling tired. There's hormonal issues underlying it. And so, yeah, it, it just really resonated this thriver idea because I was like, yeah, I'm going to thrive. And you you mentioned that that whole thing. I, I, you know, I, I won't make this a huge long tangent, but you mentioned that idea of the doctors gave you six months to live. In my humble opinion, that is one of the worst things doctors can do for the patients is to quote unquote, give them a set amount of time to survive. It is honestly, they've done research on this. This isn't me just saying this wantonly, that when patients are given a particular date and they identify with that, it is astonishing how many people will go on that date or within a week of it, or even sometimes in less time, if they really, really just have given up. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you want to get into psychology, that's what I studied. And Our beliefs are powerful. Our mindset is so powerful. And so I had you were saying at 16, you handled it very differently. Well, I was 30. So I had the benefit of having studied psychology. I had the benefit of having a bunch of tools under my belt that I didn't have when I was 16 years old. Uh, So I, you know, you can give me credit for that. Awesome. I'll take it. Thank you. But I also had that benefit of having more of that experience of having studied positive psychology of having studied mindset and all of that. And three yoga teaching certifications under my belt. And like, people looked at me like, you're the healthiest person I know. How did this happen? And that is when I realized there were so many missing pieces to the puzzle of what it means to be healthy. So um, yeah, anyway, th- I went on a few different tangents there, but that's just, it is like really getting a clearer picture of what does it mean truly to thrive? And that's, I think, going to be the foundation of the the entire podcast. Every episode we do is probably going to steer it in this direction of creating a life for ourselves that is really based on that notion of expanding our horizons and thriving and not just going through the motions and getting by. That's anyway how I resonate with it. And what about you, Rick? Because um, I think you said it before I even chimed in and <laughs> was well, like,
0: well, I, I we like. kind of came up, we came to the same place together. I yeah. think all, all these years later, um, I'm a hundred percent completely, in agreement with you, oh, and I have to do my qualifier, call call folks. I have four pit bulls, and they sometimes oh. will just interrupt these things. So if you hear that, my apologies. We'll just push through it. And speaking of pushing through it, that's what I did when when I was diagnosed. And you know, you mentioned cancer warriors. You saw that a lot. That's always been my mentality.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I don't want to judge anybody or anything, but if I were I would say that's kind of the wrong mentality. Um, thriving, Thriver, what you're talking about, in my humble opinion, is what it all should be about. And you had an amazing journey, as I believe I did as well, but they were two entirely different things. I mean, back when I had it, the Internet was like a, a distant thing in the future. didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy going to see a psychologist, you'd be like a sissy if you did that. Um, and those are words, the kind of words that were used back then. Um, you know, I did make a trip up North to San Francisco to see, uh, these amazing people named Shakti Gawain and Jerry Jampolsky. Mm. Uh, they're the, uh, love is letting go of fear authors. And they're two of the first in this space. I spent a weekend with them. I came away inspired and then I lost it and went right back into that dark warrior survival sort of mode. And I fought for three years. Um, I fought my doctors, I fought myself. Uh, you mentioned the word dis-ease. And this is a big one for me to take responsibility for. People say, how the heck did you get testicular cancer at age 16? Because that's an old man's disease, usually. And then how did that you end up with a whole separate lung cancer diagnosis? Were you smoking heavily? Or were you in a pollution-filled area? Do you have a huge family history? And the answers to all of those questions were resounding no's. And I came to the realization years later, in one of my many self diagnoses, I'm always diagnosing myself with anything that's going on, that I gave it to myself. And you break the word down, dis ease. So I was not at ease. My mom had died suddenly three years before. I went to a school. Uh, went to a Catholic school is the only Jewish kid in the whole school and not the shortest boy, but the shortest kid period. And I was physically attacked my first day of school. This was six months after my mother died because I was Jewish and short. And I fought every single day for that first year. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's not an exaggeration. And it ended up, believe it or not, being fun. And I made friends and that's a whole nother story. It's about coming back from the abyss. Right. Um, But no wonder now, looking back, not having any outlets to process to end up where I ended up. And and Amanda, I think you're like, you're such an inspiration to follow. I hope that these days I am as well. I do have a platform like yourself that I've been working on for a few years on and off. Um, Unfortunately, more off than on lately, but this is now changing with what we're doing. Um, My mentality has since changed. And now it is all about. When I say taking responsibility for ourselves, the last thing we want to do is put more stress on anybody that is in the middle of their own journey, but understanding that we do have the power to influence our own journey, our own outcome, and learning how to take advantage of all these modalities and all these support systems that are out there, um, part of which I hope we're going to be able to provide to, uh, to many people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You brought up a number of really important points that I want to touch on. Um, but first, that notion of self-responsibility, a lot of people perceive it to be blaming the patient who's already dealing with so much. And, I'm, and for me, it's not at all that. It is not at all about adding a layer of burden or blame or shame. Like you did this to yourself. No, no, no. Because obviously...
0: Sorry to interrupt. Please don't think I meant that by self responsibility. Of yeah, course, yeah. I know means- you
1: didn't know mean that, but I, you know, for anybody listening, because I know that is a massive trigger point for a lot of people in this world. I've seen it on social media. Um, it has nothing to do with that. It's actually entirely empowering and liberating to be able to take agency over the steps you can take to heal your life. And this is unfortunately the way our society has been constructed is that we have been taught. And so this is why we don't blame or shame anybody. We did not learn what it means to be healthy and how to heal. We didn't learn any of this. All we were taught was to give our power away to the people in the white lab coats, which is extremely disempowering. We're outsourcing our Expertise to somebody who doesn't even know us is really truly what's happening. And while they may be the expert on the particular Disease and diagnosis. I do believe Western medicine is incredibly powerful in its diagnostic capacity. And there are, you know, emergency life saving procedures that we should 100% be thankful for. And I see that there are a lot of gaps and flaws in the way disease is handled. And there's so many rabbit holes to go down here, but I just want to really anchor that in for anybody listening who might've been triggered by, th- by that idea that taking responsibility for yourself and the role that you play in the, the life that you have or the, the physical disease that you may be experiencing, um, you know, we we don't blame or shame because there's so much that we haven't been taught and When we realize that we are powerful enough to change that, that changes the game entirely. That there are a lot of action steps that we can take on our own that's so liberating actually and that's how things change and that's how things really evolve and expand and that's how our body actually begins to heal itself because we have self-healing mechanisms built in through our immune system i mean look at skin it regenerates however many days and every organ regenerates every however many years right we know this based on biology. This is what we learn in biology 101. Biology was my favorite science, so I can get a little bit nerdy about it. But when we really start to look at the functioning of cells, understanding disease in the body takes on a whole other meaning. It is not something out there that is as much of a mystery as a lot of cancer has been made out to be. Of course, cancer is a little bit more of a nebulous one, but When you – I forgot that you also had lung cancer. And when you said just now that your mother had passed away, well, in Chinese medicine, any issues associated with the lungs are rooted in grief, according to their system. Uh So when you say, no, I didn't smoke, no, I didn't do any of that, but you experienced a really profound loss – that ties it all together. And it's not saying that everybody who experiences a loss is going to get cancer. It's, but it's how did you deal with it how are you uh, what tools do you have in order to process the grief and this is again getting back into what you said about men not having that outlet and there was ongoing stress in your in your system because of that combativeness that was going on in your life well that's how things take root if if it's an ongoing situation if it's very extreme and we don't have an outlet this is how it it essentially densifies into the physical. It densifies into the cells, the tissues of our body, and they can't handle it. So then there's so many different perspectives on this, but yeah, it's, it's really profound what you shared there. So um, yeah, I, I hope that makes sense what I said so you far.
0: You hope that makes sense. That was so incredibly articulate, <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it makes great sense. And I, I would think that anybody listening out there now I would hope they maybe already would have got some of the following someone listening that has something going on in their lives or did related to cancer, whether it's themselves or a loved one. uh, I would hope they'd understand that there, there always is a way first we understand, need to understand what's going on and what our, what our part in it is. Um, Secondly, taking, advantage of all these modalities that, that you're talking about and alluding to, whether it's, you know, this Cancer Warriors podcast or, or Great Western Medicine or any number of support groups that are available these, these days, including for men, thankfully. Now now that's okay. Men are coming together all the time over, over diagnoses and working on surviving and thriving together. So, you, you speak so beautifully and so eloquently. I, I tend to be a little more, bone straight to it, lay terms, although your stuff is very easy to digest, everything you're saying. Um, for me, it's this, folks, no matter what you might be going through, no matter what your loved one might be going through or what you have gone through and wondering where you're going to go now, look, look, look at Amanda and, and where she has come. I mean, this is genuinely one of the most positive, brightest people I know. This person had cancer seven years ago, many decades ago. I was all but given up for dead, and it was horrific. I did not get anything positive out of the journey during the time I went through it. But I can tell you, since then, I've gone on to live a, what I would term a, ver- a great life. I'm I'm happy. I'm positive. Uh, I'm healthy. Um, uh, I'm strong. I think I'm in a much better shape than most guys, 10 years younger than me had to throw that in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there, there's always a way through and whatever we can do to, to help alleviate some of the stress of, of where you are today and help see a vision for your healthy future in which you're thriving. That's what we're here for. That's what I want to do. Amanda.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And like the core, the core of this is that there's a lot of hope, there's actually a lot more hope than many people realize, because there's, there's different alternatives available for us. And how we even just perceive what is going on. Um, You know, I always look at the Chinese character. It's funny, I've mentioned the Chinese stuff twice now, and I haven't studied that in depth or anything. But the Chinese character for crisis, when you flip it upside down, crisis becomes opportunity. And it's all a matter of our internal perspective. It takes a perspective shift. And again, this is psychology. And this is one of the things that I studied in grad school because I studied social and cultural psychology, not therapy to be really clear. Um, But shifting our perspective, shifting our mindset on a situation can completely change the game. Immediately I saw, I I took this on as a challenge and an opportunity to, I was like, it is my mission to heal myself and to survive because seven family members before me had passed away from cancer and cancer related complications in my dad's immediate family. And my sister was getting married in six months and it's just the two of us in our family and i was and my it was my baby sister and i was like i cannot do that to my family cuz my uncle had passed away the night before i got my ct scan and it was actually i consider him to be one of my angels because he passed away and that and the, okay so the doctors had quote unquote given him 6 months after he went off a clinical trial i can't even remember what he had it was one of those trickier ones um, I don't know if it was pancreas, but it was something like that. But they had given him six months after he went off the clinical trial And he went within three days. So it was a bit of a shock, even though we all knew it was coming. We were hoping he would make it to my sister's wedding, honestly. And that night that he passed away, I woke up with super sharp shooting pain in my left shoulder. And I'd already had a cough and some pain in my chest here and there. I couldn't lie down on my back. And I couldn't go up a flight of stairs without getting winded. Meanwhile, I was a yogi who could touch her toes to her head while doing handstand at the same time. It didn't add up, right? So I knew something was wrong. And you talked about self-diagnosing. Well, first thing I did when I woke up that morning after a very uncomfortable, restless night was I started Googling my symptoms and I'd self-diagnosed with a pulmonary embolism, which is bad enough. I wouldn't entertain the possibility of cancer at the time. I was like, nope, nope. And, but I called up my doctor and I was like hi I need a CT scan this afternoon <laughs> and the receptionist is like it doesn't work like that you know she was <laughs> she many,
0: like, people out there no it does not
1: <laughs> it does not work like that she was like this crazy girl what is she talking about she was like well first you need a reason to get a CT scan second, With insurance approval and so on and so forth, there is no chance you're going to get it done today, even if you need one. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, fine. What's the earliest available appointment you have this afternoon? Because my doctor was in Manhattan and I was in New Jersey at the time. And we were planning like travel to my uncle's funeral and we were leaving the next morning. So I was like, I have to see the doctor today. And so I went in and He sent me down for an x-ray because I had been in three months prior with some very minor chest pain, very, very minor. And in a healthy 30-year-old in December, stressed out at her job, you know, I don't blame my doctor for not jumping to cancer at that time. He diagnosed me with a um, you know, slight inflammation of the lung lining, pleurisy. Uh, sure. So I, I took that diagnosis and then, you know, the winter happened and the cough didn't go away but it was also winter I was stressed out and I so I kept chalking up to that stuff but he sent me down for the x-ray and I could have sworn as I left the x-ray attendant kind of gave me a sideways look as I walked out but I was like he's young maybe he thinks I'm cute (laughs) (laughs) And so I went upstairs, my doctor It it was
0: probably that.
1: (laughs) Or, so I went upstairs and, uh, because my doctor was like, come up, we'll just look at it together. And I felt like he was just trying to appease me, honestly, at first. And he pulled it up and I'm sitting across from him and I see his face just kind of go blank. And then he kind of has a little bit of a look. And then he just- quietly turns a screen and he points with his pen you see this white film over your left lung i have no idea what that is it looks like you've earned that ct scan after all and no part of me wanted to be right but got on the phone with insurance and it happened that very day so i did get the ct scan and on my way to my uncle's funeral the following day I got the results. They called me saying I need to schedule a PET scan. I was like, what's a PET scan? They're like, you haven't spoken to your doctor yet? And they're like, I was like, no. She was like, okay. (laughs) So she was like, why don't you talk to your doctor and give us a call back when you're ready to schedule? And I was just like, this does not sound good. And so they, by the time I landed on our layover, that I've had the results and I had a grapefruit size gro- uh, growth inside my chest compressing my heart and my lungs. And it was stage two B when we finally got all the diagnostics done, but it was very large. And within a week from my CT scan to my PET scan, it had grown a centimeter in each dimension, wow. each direction. So it was growing very rapidly, essentially. Um, yeah, so Even though I was lucky in that it hadn't spread, like, thank goodness. I listened to myself, my intuition and the, uh, the pain in my shoulder, but yeah, it was dire enough, my particular situation and then everything flowed from there. So yeah. What about you? What was your diagnostic?
0: I will tell you in a minute. First, I want to put you on the spot for a second, Amanda, and I'm going to do this to you all the time. Sorry. All right. Can you close your eyes for a second? Sure. What went through your brain when you first heard that you had cancer? Uh,
1: So this is when I've got the official call. Well, I suppose because, you know, the diagnostic process is is its own thing. It's a whole other beast. In many ways, in my mind, it's worse than the actual treatment because you're still in that phase of uncertainty. So do I go by when the surgeon, after I had the PET scan, when the surgeon looked at the results and looked at us and told us this wasn't a job for him? Because I I was like, just get this damn thing out of me. Like, Open me up. Do whatever you got to do. This was a heart surgeon in manhattan who had operated on one of the presidents so i was like he knows what he's doing just open me up get this thing out whatever the heck it is you know and in hindsight i'm kind of glad that didn't happen but at the end of the day he looked at us and was like this is not a job for me there's activity on the pet scan and we were like what does that mean and he said well my best guess is this is lymphoma And so that was the first time we officially heard cancer. I mean, it was in the possible diagnoses of the CT scan, but I have a doctor friend and I sent her the results and she's like, oh, it could just be this, da, da, da. You know, she was trying not to make me panic without having further stuff, but also, you know, there is a possibility that it could have been something else. And when he said that, I, like, part of me knew and part of me, I think, intuitively already knew, but I didn't want to fully entertain it. And so I had put myself on a cancer healing nutrition plan already, to be really clear. I did all that research when I was at my uncle's funeral. I started drinking green juice. I, I went like raw vegan as soon as i possibly could that was just what i first came into my field and i cleansed my body out so i was already on this cancer healing plan that i had put myself on even though i was still trying to pretend it wasn't cancer and then when i got the i had to get a biopsy and then they asked me that well that morning because they had to go like right into my chest right above my heart in, in next to my lung and my heart and they came over to my little you know gurney where i was lying before the procedure they're like we legally just have to make sure you're aware that there is a possibility that we could puncture your heart or your lung during this procedure and i just lay there and i was just like well please just do your jobs well, guys. <laughs> like, you know, what else am I supposed to say? What else, what
0: else can you do at that point? I, right.
1: and I was just like lying there like, hmm. And then I got the call from the, the oncologist a week later Saying we've got the results, preliminary results, confirmed that it is lymphoma. Next week, we'll, by your appointment, we'll have the precise form. So it's like it was a long run up to confirm, but don't get me wrong. Like I, as mentally prepared as I was when I heard the confirmation that it was lymphoma, and it was a very lovely head of the department. Uh, you know he was he was great about it, um, but I, I started crying. I was like on my like I was in the middle of my work day technically and I could barely keep myself together like when the reality of it hit. Like there's just no way around it as positive as you are, there's going to be profound levels of emotional roller coaster going on. Like I, it was devastating. I was sad. I was scared. I was frustrated. I was angry. Uh, it was all the things wrapped up in one. And I also like had this layer of guilt there for like my sister and my family. I was like, I can't be going through this right now. This isn't fair to my sister. I'm her maid of honor, you know? So there was that layer of, of, um you know, real life that was kicking in. And I was like, well, like, what does this mean for me career wise and all that? When it hits you, it all hits you. When you get that first diagnosis, it all hits you. So as much as I had mentally prepared myself and I had the luxury of that, I know some people, it happens like this, they go in for pneumonia and the next thing they know, they're hooked up to chemotherapy. And that's a whole other kind of whirlwind, but yeah, it, it, there's just no way around it. It is devastating to get that kind of a diagnosis.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the reason I asked that question, it's a loaded question because I think about whoever might be listening to us today. And this is always on my mind as I know it is yours too. What is the experience presently of the person that might be listening? If they could rate their fear on a scale of one to 10, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: they could rate their hope on a scale of one to 10 optimism, you may be even stronger. What, where are they? And, you know, I, I, I've been in a world where I know a lot of famous people that are friends and the, and there's a point relative to this, the guys that I, that I run with, they tend to be like of all things like famous WWE wrestlers and UFC fighters. And these are the biggest, like toughest, most physical guys on the planet. And I can tell you, without exception, every one of them has had as deep a level challenge in their life as anybody has. And their fans or people that admire them tend to think that guy's perfect. If he went through it, it wasn't that bad because he is who he is. And you know people could look at us now, you, you especially, and go, wow, they're doing great. So I can't even imagine that they would have been like in that same spot that I'm in now. And you know, I think relatability, which I believe you have to the highest degree, and, and I hope I do to a degree, is something that will help people that, that are going through it, that are thinking about what's next for them. Um, when I was diagnosed, again, I was 16. Um, my experience was my, uh, I, I had pain in, in my right ball. And, and by the way, I don't have much of a filter. I don't know if I've told you that. Um, so I, I hope I don't um, go oh, around. I'm not bothered
1: way. by any of that myself. And uh, hopefully the audience, like we live, we, we live in a world of social media.
0: <laughs> so my right ball blew up like three times the size of my left. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it happened fast. And I'm like, well, if they're both this size, I'd be doing pretty good. Sorry. Inappropriate behavior or language. I'm sorry. Um, there was something really wrong with it. And it hurt. It happened fast. My stepmother took me into my doctor. Um, he immediately got on the phone, called a urologist in the same building, went over to him. I had met I had known the guy for about two minutes, L- Leonard Goldman, who I really came to like and admire over time. Within two minutes, he said, That's either a twist, an infection, or a tumor. And whatever it is, it's gotta come out tonight. Okay. So It was pretty shocking. Now
1: you had that experience of like it's all just happening all at once.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was 16. Nobody knew in the medical field how to talk to a 16 year old boy at that point. Uh, The sensitivity training uh, was not a part of a doctor's regimen back in those days. Some had better bedside manners than others, and ultimately,
1: tell you, it's it's still lacking for many. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And I'll call doctors out on that now, by the way, and have fun doing it. Um, But that's a whole, you know, that's about all about self-advocacy and all that, too, I think, which I which I think we should talk about at one point. for sure. hundred
1: percent. That could be a whole conversation, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, indeed. Um, So when I heard, you know, infection or twist or tumor, I don't think I even knew what a tumor was at that point in my life. That's my recollection now, let alone know what the difference between a benign tumor and a malignant tumor was. But I learned that very quickly within the next few days because it came out right away, they could see it was a tumor, it went to pathology, and I had a malignant diagnosis within a matter of just a few days. Um, And I was, Amanda, I was a freaking deer in the headlights. Um, I think, you you talked about going raw vegan, which is exactly what I would do now, God forbid I ever have that experience again. I think to make things better, my stepmom and my dad probably ran to McDonald's and got me a quarter pounder and a chocolate shake. Um, yeah, kind
1: of- a lot of people still go that route now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The comfort food, which is actually going to make things far more uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I think that's a whole nother podcast question yeah. for sure. And, we'll br- <laughs> and by the way, folks, we'll bring on like, this is our introductory, so it's Amanda and I today. Sometimes it may be just the two of us, yeah. but we're going to bring in some of the most dynamic guests in this field, from nutritionists to hardcore surgeons to the, the people that are at the apex of, if you want to call it, Eastern healing. Um, so we'll be sharing all of that with you here. So I got a diagnosis quickly, and the first thing they wanted to find out is, did this spread anywhere, or is there an original uh, growth elsewhere. So I went through every diagnostic imaginable at that point. I remember things like bone bone marrow, uh, not transplant, bone marrow examination, mm-hmm. where basically they're, they have to bust through your uh, cartilage in your lower back to pull I out. Had to do that. You know that. And, and I remember to this day, it sounded like the Rice Krispies when you pour the milk on it. So there's like just all these different things that I remember It was just, it was a whirlwind, It was shocking. Um, Ultimately, they got the testicular cancer in that one operation, but we found out there was a whole specific separate point of origination in my right lung. And so that's why I had two different cancer diagnoses at the same time. Uh, The diagnosis on the right was stage four, and I ended up over the next three years having uh, another three major surgeries. Ultimately, they took about 70% of both of my lungs. So I've got about 30% left all oh these years. God. But keep in mind that I, I went on to play tennis at a competitive level. Not great, but good. Um, I fought. You know, I learned I, I went on to be a fighter um, and do some pro wrestling matches and you know, the kinds of things that you wouldn't think you could do, host stage four lung cancer with 30% of your lungs. And this is why, like, I'm such a believer now and that you really can take where you are and go pretty much just about anywhere with it. But, but back to the mindset at that time, for anybody else out there right now who might be scared about where they are, what they're going through, or what a loved one is going through, I don't know that it would have been possible to be any more freaked out and any more unprepared and resultingly, any angrier than I was at that point in my life and that I was for about the next two years after that. And still, I try to do it still I, until I started to learn other ways. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was a dark, dark time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that. And it's also for me just highlighting how wonderfully complementary. our journeys have been as far as like very different and coming from very different perspectives. And yet we're also bringing it together and kind of like full circle. It's all funneled us in the same direction. So yeah, hopefully this is going to resonate on a lot of different levels with people out there listening because there's, again, every experience is different and there are commonalities to the experience that unite us all on some level. It's like some people only have the chemo, some people only, only have the surgery, some people only have the radiation, some people have all three. And you know, some people looked at me like, oh my God, I can't believe you went through that. And I had 600 hours of chemotherapy. By comparative measures, some people have six rounds of 45 minutes or something like that. But that's just it. There is no comparing apples for apples on this journey. Because I look at other people, I'm like, I can't believe you had brain surgery. I can't believe you had that, you know? And so it's just this, like, crazy. I'm like, I feel like I'm lucky compared to a lot of people. And so other people would look at me and say, oh my God, I'm so lucky I didn't go through that. So I just want to like presence that too. Like there's no room for comparing one journey to the next. It's all not fun. (laughs) And we all have our own really, really traumatic, really, really dark moments that we go through no matter how positive we are, no matter how well we came out on the other end. And let me tell you, I was positive throughout, and there were some moments that I just like fell deep into the dark hole. And oh gosh, the bone marrow biopsy. Like, I, I, I that I actually had a physiological. Traumatic reaction to the biopsy itself like I stopped breathing turned purple woke up to oxygen mask on my face like it was because it bored into my being and I think it triggered other trauma that's a whole other episode to the trauma layer underlying a lot of cancer perhaps but. Um, what I also wanted to say was like, I also had uh, an infection at one point in my pick line and they had, it took a while to figure out where that was coming from. So one of my rounds, I went into the ER with a fever of 103 or four, might've even been close to 105 at one point uh, before I even started the round. And for a few days, they didn't know. So I was in the hospital for like nine days that time, instead of like four and I went into that round already incredibly depleted. I had rigors, like my body had seized up. I wasn't sleeping well that entire time throughout treatment. So, you know, I I really had a rose, rose-colored glass lens view of the whole thing. Sunshine state of mind was a hashtag I used a lot. Making lemonade out of lemons was something else that I, I spoke into a lot. And... I wasn't denying that it was also very, very challenging. I was being really real about it. And throughout the recovery process afterward too, there were some moments of complete and utter frustration. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I feel like I've been on top of this slash ahead of it this whole time. And yet I'm still struggling with really intense chemo brain, like blanking out brain fog to a whole other level. Uh gut issues. I had so much fatigue, like it's not even funny. And I feel like that's kind of minimal compared to some people me being on top of it already. It was really challenging. So, yeah, there and then there's the emotional layers, like the time of my life, like I I didn't, you know, I I had to do a different like take a t- different career path. It was both liberating and and terrifying and there's just so many things that were impacted and then the fear of you know like you know there's the the woman level of chemotherapy impacting your ability to bear children in the future and so there was that layer of fear and stuff like that so you know they have a lot of protective measures these days but there's so much that you have to recalibrate to on this journey even with a positive outlook even with resources even with the men, like the mind frame to know how to heal your body and everything, it is full of challenges. So, I'm not trying to sit here and pretend like it was easy for me to get to this point of being like whole and healthy and embodied again. But yeah, the, it really, it really was beautiful and liberating and intense. There's just an undeniable intensity that comes along with it, no matter your outlook.
0: That That's incredible and and admirable. And uh, if we can help anybody out there but come to that place or raise their degree of coming to that place, then, then that's amazing. I think we'll have to draw a lot more on your experience than mine. I think mine might be more of a cautionary tale of what not to do while, <laughs> while, you're, while you're going through it. Um, But, you know, where I am now, I had a second three-year illness from 2013 to 2016, not Mm cancer-related, and it was a whole different world for me at that point. I treated it in a much different way, and we don't have to go into what that was all about now or even later, for that matter, other than how I came through another life-threatening disease in a much more positive Mm -hmm. and and fulfilled way. Um, You know, I, I had three years of solid chemo along with my four surgeries, the testicular uh, surgery, then the three ensuing lung surgeries. And the chemo was so poisonous back then. Yeah. You know, it was really, very experimental. No one really knew yet that I did it all as an inpatient. And I've spent in my lifetime now over a thousand nights as an inpatient in a hospital, which I know <laughs> it sounds like, it, how could that be true, right? That's over like. Roughly three years worth of time as an inpatient. Yeah. Um, I was not a a big guy when I first started. I think I was 125 pounds. I went down ultimately to 85 pounds. Um, I lost every single hair on my body, including my eyebrows and my eyelashes. I was bone white. Um, I looked like a survivor from a concentration camp during World War II. Um, I do have photos of this. I'll share at one point if that's a prudent thing to do. Um, so, you know, I, I I feel like physically I probably saw, you know, a pretty high level of how bad it can get. Men, again, it's not about comparison. It's not. And you're completely right about that. I'm saying this to make to make this point that it can all be overcome. I do believe that. And I don't mean that enough sort of way. Um, It's not in a trying to impart anything that would ever be characterized as false hope. It's that I believe there's always an opportunity to physically survive and to emotionally and mentally thrive Um, and physically thrive also. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're both doing that now, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. All right, look at those buttons. All right, Amanda. I
1: know, I sure, you can't really tell, but I actually, the other day, I decided to try push ups and I could do 10 without having done them in years.
0: <laughs> push ups, knees or no knees?
1: No knees. Wow. No, no, that, not, not the fake stuff. No way. <laughs> well,
0: that, that's. Very impressive. Good for Nose you.
1: to the ground. I don't <laughs> cheat.
0: Amazing. amazing. Uh, you know, the, this hour has flown by. We could go. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's almost. Sure. Um, before we wrap up, though, uh, I want to put you on the spot yet again. And okay. this is a big, broad question. And we could spend episodes. I'm going to build up putting you on the spot now. We could spend episodes on this alone. But for somebody out there, who recently has a new diagnosis of cancer. They've just found out, you don't know what it is yet. You don't know what, you know, what stage it is. This is you, Amanda, don't know the stage, what the prognosis is, the treatment plan, what their lifestyle is like, what's around them, who's around them, but you just know, and one of my pit bulls just pulled down my light. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) Uh, Yes, those things will happen. They've just learned they have cancer. What do you tell them? You have a minute with them. Now, this could be an hour, and I know that. But you have a minute with them before you lose them for the day. What do you tell them?
1: Wow. No pressure. <laughs> you guys
0: put on the spot. Ooh, oh, okay.
1: That's a big one, and I only have a minute.
0: <sighs> yeah. That's tough. I know.
1: Uh, okay. Okay. <sighs> Ah.
0: <laughs> I, I don't have an How do answer.
1: Condense it? How do I condense it? Well, I guess what what came to mind first is that there is always hope. You are far more powerful than you have been led to believe and faith is powerful enough to move mountains, quite literally. And there is So much that we have not been taught about our body's capacity to heal itself, that if we just take one step at a time, baby steps, and keep our mindset focused on the outcome of us being already healed because that was a huge thing that I did. I didn't even realize how powerful this one little practice I was doing was, but I was envisioning myself healthy, happy, and dancing at my sister's wedding that entire time every day throughout treatment. I meditated 20 minutes twice a day and ended with a gratitude prayer and visualizing myself surrounded by my family, all happy and healthy. And that I think alone can Move mountains. And it might sound trite, it might sound simplistic, but truly our mindset, our mind can create our reality. If we keep our vibration in a space of gratitude for the breath that we're breathing. If we have nothing else to be grateful for, be grateful that you are breathing, be grateful that you woke up this morning, be grateful that you have food to eat and a roof over your head so that we can go down to the most basic baseline, be grateful that you're alive and then visualize yourself living your life fully. I don't know if that was under 60 seconds, but that's what came to mind.
0: <laughs> well, that, that is great and good reaction to being put on the spot, by the way, um, we we could you could never grade that, but I give it an A plus anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, now what about you? You can't do that to me and not do it yourself. But maybe well, you had time to think about it.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I was about to say I had a little more time to think about it than you did. Yes. I do not have a pre-prepared answer, and I still don't, okay. but I have some thoughts on it now. Um it, it it would be this that you need things around you when this is happening. You're your doctoring is important. Your support system is important. Um, not everybody, though, has that. But everybody mm-hmm. does have the one most important thing. And Amanda just touched on it. And that's that's your brain. Now, this, again, is not about putting any pressure on you. You're not solely responsible for your own survival and thrival. Is thrival a word? Let's, let's say it we'll is a word. Let's look at one. It's <laughs> a word. All right. I would say this. No matter where you are, you're in the dark. You don't know what to make of this yet. You don't know what to do. You don't know what's coming. Know this much at least. There is a way. There is a way you can come out of this physically, mentally, and emotionally. You don't have better than you ever were before where you come to embody that cliche, things happen for a reason. When you can look back on this down the road and go, wow, I see why I went through that because look where I am now. So let's go together on that journey of finding the best path. There is a way. Mm
1: -hmm. I love that. I love that. And this is very much an exploration. And we're all on this journey of figuring out this thing called life together. And So that's, I think, a beautiful way to wrap this up. So thank you, Rick. This is so much fun. I hope Everyone out there listening, I hope you have received something from this as well. I'm sending you so much love if you're going through this journey now, if you have a loved one going through it, we know what that's like. So we hope that this is offering something to facilitate your own healing and their healing and to create some kind of positive outlook for you all.
0: Uh, I won't even try to do a sign off because I'm just going to say what Amanda said. <laughs> be, uh, great to be with you all, Amanda. Great to see you. I think that's uh, an excellent start for us, and we'll uh, we'll see everybody again next week on uh, episode two of the onward Council.
1: and upward and love and light. See you soon.